Welcome to Satsang. Hello, Vishrant. Can you please talk about the question, is Osho still alive? Osho died in 1990 at the age of 58. So it's been 21 years now since his death. But from what I can tell, his legacy lives on in the sannyasins that are still alive and the new sannyasins that have come and in the teachers who have awoken in his presence and awoken as a result of his presence, who are now teaching the truth and shining the light. So physically, the body died, but Osho was living as beingness that can never die. And his legacy is still going very, very strong right around the world through his sannyasins and through the people who woke up because of him. And so he's a lovely fellow who is still here, still alive, but in a different way. His message is still out there. Wake up, celebrate life, be free. Are there any questions, any statements, or any challenges to this teaching today? First question has been written by Neil. Hello, Vishrant. I've recently started practicing meditation and I'll try to do it for 15 minutes every day. Something that I've noticed is that I feel really sleepy during meditation. Can you tell me what is it that I'm doing wrong? Okay, so <clears throat> my teacher, Osho Rajneesh, uh, gave us a couple of meditations that were really good for people who are carrying what I call tamasic energy or sleepy energy. And that's dynamic meditation and kundalini meditation. These meditations begin with activity to release whatever might be being carried from the day. So then you can sit more easily and stay more conscious. If we're carrying a lot of sleepy energy from our thinking during the day or what we've been involved in, and then we try to sit, the chances are we'll fall asleep. And so Osho designed these two wonderful meditations, dynamic meditation and Kundalini meditation, which can be found online. And if you do these, you'll find that you can sit quite easily without falling asleep. People think, uh, I want to find peace. I want to, I want to sit. I want to meditate. Oh, yeah. Well, as your mind relaxes and the coping mechanisms that hold everything down relax, everything that you've repressed, everything that you've taken on, everything you've created during the day is going to start to come out. And so you get wiped out by your own energy. Have a good dance before you meditate. 
That works well. The next question is, how do you think Osho became a worldwide phenomenon? Yeah, it's a bit of a mystery to me. I understand his history and it was like a wave of uh, a wave of a sexual revolution in the 70s where he authored a book called uh, From Sex to Superconsciousness, which took off uh, around the world, attracted a lot of people's attention. There was a, a strong movement towards spirituality in the 70s. Uh, and a lot of Westerners headed towards India to be with Osho. There were also quite a few of his own people in Western countries inviting people to come, and they did. But how he took off so big, wow, it's a mystery. <laughs> he became huge. At one point, I believe he had um, 500,000 sannyasins around the world, and I think he's probably got double that now. Um, he was an amazing light so those could those that could not see could see and his light is still shining the next question why did Osho give his sannyasins new names malas and asked them to wear red. I don't know about him asking people to wear red. I, I, if you wanted to become a sannyasin, you had to volunteer. You had to uh, put yourself into it. For me to uh, become a sannyasin, I had to apply for sannyas. But before I could even apply, the ashram that I was in in Perth, West Australia, I had to do six months of dynamics and six months of Kundalini's to see if I was still you know, interested after that period of time. And I did, and I was, and I, I applied for sannyas and I chose to wear red and I chose to wear a mala uh, with his picture uh, on it around my neck. And I chose to change my name to a name that had been uh, offered to me by him. The name was Prem Vishrat and Prem meaning love and Vishrat meaning restful. And so it was an odd name to get because the last thing I was was restful and there wasn't much love in my life. And here I got given the name restful love. And so it was a teaching. When we get, take sannyas, it's like leaving the past behind. It's like we're born again. It's a new beginning, a fresh beginning to have a different life. So we leave the old name and the history behind us and we take a new name and we're born again. Fresh, new, vital. And this is a wonderful thing to do. You get this new chance, new chance at a different life. And so in Sanyas years, I'm 38 years old or something like that. <laughs> but it was wonderful for me to leave the old identity behind and 
develop a spiritual life towards higher consciousness with Osho as my teacher. It was refreshing. Next, we have Ritaraj who'd like to ask you a question. Hello, Ritaraj. Hi, Richard. How are you? I'm, I'm lovely, thank you. Um, I wanted to ask. Sometimes when I do my meditation, I when I observe my breath, I am unsure that if I, um, I'm trying to just observe the natural breath, but then I, I feel like I'm controlling the breath, but I'm trying not to. I'm not too sure if the awareness is, um, trying to correct my breathing, or, um, my body is breathing, and then I'm identifying with my body uh, um yeah can you help me with that yeah so look what happens is if we just watch our breath and we watch it for long enough it goes into a natural rhythm when we're beginning and we're trying to get it right the mind tends to interfere with the process but if you just keep watching your breath and breathing eventually everything will relax and you'll just be watching the breath that's what happens, but it's a time thing. It doesn't sound like you've given yourself enough time at it. When, when it comes to meditation, I used to meditate for hours, not minutes. And because I meditated for hours, I'd find no mind after a while where I'd just be sitting in no mind with no thoughts whatsoever, but absolutely present. And in a lot of ways, that is the goal of watching the breath. So just take more time and just be more natural with it. Don't try to force it. Don't try to control it. Just watch your breath. Eventually, all the controlling will become tiring and you'll relax and just watch the breath. Does that help, Ridrash? Uh, yes, it does. Um, can I ask you another question as well? Um, sure. Uh, I understand that like, from the teachings that being aware, like you automatically will do the right thing. So is that the same with the breathing as well like because i know well i've been taught that deep, breathing deep is like really uh better for you like when you do deep breaths but um if i'm just aware of my breathing do, will i automatically um cor uh, do the right type of breathing is that what it's supposed to be well the right type of breathing is just natural breathing it's like you're not doing anything the body breathes by itself it's like at nighttime when you go to sleep, you don't control your breathing. It just keeps breathing by itself, the same as your heart keeps beating by itself. Uh, you just get out of the way, watch the breath, and the breath will become natural. It'll become into a natural rhythm. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Rita Rush. The next question has been written by Kelly. Was Osho given the Rolls Royces? I defend him, but don't know what to say to people about his obsession from the documentary. <laughs> don't think he had an obsession. I think he had 93 Rolls Royces though, and they were gifts to him. Uh, he got gifts of gold watches with massive amounts of diamonds in them. He got gifts of Rolls Royces. A lot of people gave him a lot of things, but I believe that he used them uh, uh, in a lot of ways to advertise what he was doing. Because if, if you wake up 
and you want to spread the light, you want to spread the Dharma, you actually have to have a way of putting that out to the world where the world sees it. And the Rolls Royces, from my perspective, were just pure advertising in that it attracted a lot of attention to what he was doing. And what he was doing ultimately was teaching the Dharma, helping people wake up. And so it went from different stages with him in the 70s. He was the sex guru. When it, By the time it hit the mid-80s, he was looking at a different audience. He was looking at business people. And so the Rolls Royces and the, the Ritzy Watches worked really well for that. Uh, it attracted certain type of people's attention. I was one of those people because I didn't join in the, the days of the... Uh, the hippies or the sex gurus. Not, not that there was anything wrong with that, but that wasn't what attracted me. Who's this guy who's got 93 Rolls Royces? Who's this guy who wears all these watches? It attracted my attention. And it, it attracted my attention. And I listened to him and I started meditating. I started practicing what he was teaching and I found my life started improving. I started to raise my consciousness levels. But the original attraction was probably <laughs> his cars and his watches. I, I, I first saw him, I think in 1978, I became a sannyasin in 1983. And when I first saw him, I, I didn't understand him. It didn't, it didn't make much sense to me. But then he, I was introduced again in 1982 and, and it started to gel. It's like this guy really has something this guy really is different this guy's awake and i took him as my master the next question has been written by ram what are your thoughts on a wild wild country well i live in uh, in the country in uh, raleigh stone uh, West Australia, it's quite nice up here. It's pretty wild. We have kangaroos, we have possums, we have tiger snakes, we have dugites, we have death adders, we have all sorts of scorpions and spiders and all sorts of creatures. The country up here is pretty wild. But I guess that you're not talking about where I live. You're talking about a movie that came out that portrayed a certain image of what was happening in America in the 80s, in the mid 80s uh, at Rajneesh Puram in the desert of Oregon. And I was there, uh, I was there for four months in that year. And it was great. It was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. So many people, I think there was like 20,000 people there at one stage when I was there celebrating life, dancing, uh, just squeezing the juice out of life. And Osho, Osho had just started, uh, well, he'd started talking again. And because the first time I went, he had, wasn't talking, he'd started talking again. And it was wild. It felt like the National Guard was going to come over the, the, the border and uh, raid the town. And there was a sense of, uh, sense of excitement there. It was a crying shame when he got arrested for immigration fraud, which he had absolutely nothing to do with. Um, 
he wasn't involved as far as I could tell because I interviewed him at that time in any of the things that were going on. He had been in silence for years. Uh, it was being run by other people who did get involved with unsavory things and they were prosecuted for that. But from my perspective, uh, he was completely innocent of all, all things that he was accused. Uh, he was just a wonderful, wonderful guy who was trying to help people wake up. But there was other people working for him or not for him, actually with him that uh, got into some dark deeds and got caught because he dobbed them in. He, he, he contacted the authorities and dobbed them in, but then he got blamed for it all. So I think the wild, wild country is a gross misrepresentation of what really went down. Uh, there was an awful lot of prejudice in that movie uh, that wasn't true. And so I feel that that particular film slandered his name um, and didn't pick up the real problems, the real people who were causing problems, which were indeed um, part of his own community. But I do not believe he had knowledge of what was going on. Next, we have Amol who'd like to ask a question. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Vishran. How are you today? Lovely, thank you. Uh, Vishran, I will have an. I would like to have another personal question. So, when I uh, I'm in meditation, uh, time allotted and sitting separately, uh, so, so things go slow, and the thoughts moves from words to pictures, and and when at some moment, even even those starts fading away, uh, uh, the the breathing seems to be an obstacle, and and then suddenly mind starts in getting interested in analyzing the situation uh -huh. and trying to relate to whatever things like you. Uh, trying to explain us mm -hmm. so and then it again starts looking for validation of the current situation whether it is aligned with what uh, you mentioned or ocean mentioned and trying to uh, seek if i am in validation of the right thing or right direction in meditation mm -hmm. and i think that is becoming an obstacle for me okay. and yeah Please advise. Okay, so for the when I when I started meditating, for the first ten years of meditation, I would meditate sitting up in a half lotus position, with my eyes open at a forty five degree angle to the ground, and the and I watched my breath. And the reason I did that was because if I shut my eyes, I was likely to go more likely to go into dream, into visuals, but if I kept my eyes open at that forty five degree angle and just watched my breath, I managed to stay uh, more present to the breath, more present with reality. After 10 years of doing that, I was able to shut my eyes and just meditate uh, without actually even watching my breath. I just go straight to no mind. 
because I'd practiced for 10 years. But for the first 10 years, I practiced with my eyes open at a 45 degree angle to the ground. And that allowed me to stay with reality more easily than shutting my eyes and trying to meditate with the eyes shut. Does that make sense? I'll try and we'll let you know in next session, Vishant. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Vishant. Next question has been written by a viewer. Say there was a constant perception of love. Does that mean someone wouldn't leave their partner because love is unconditional and doesn't betray? <laughs> Look, people keep projecting onto love that it does all these things. Love just loves. Love doesn't betray, the mind betrays. Love doesn't stay with anyone, the mind does. Love is always here. <laughs> people get this odd idea about what love does and what love doesn't do. Love doesn't do anything except one thing. It loves. All the other things that we push on and project onto love are from the mind. <laughs> Have a look and see. Love just loves. What does your mind do? That's worth watching. Next, Kalimba would like to ask a question. Hi, Kalimba. Hi, Vishrant. I just wanted to share a little bit of my experience from going to Osho. I had had a nervous breakdown, which I later saw as a breakthrough because my straight lifestyle wasn't working and I'd headed up to Nimbin and I was actually the editor of the Nimbin News for a while. And I, I'd met a few sannyasins along the line and I felt some sort of attraction towards Osho, or Bhagwan as he was then. And I was really into the I Ching. So I sat down one day and I thought, I don't know, maybe, and I threw the I Ching. And I'll never forget, it still gives me a little bit of a tingle when I tell this story. The I Ching came up, decay, work on what has been spoiled, it is time to cross the great water and see the great man. <laughs> now, you can't get much more specific than that. Mm. So I went to Pune in 79 and got Swami Deva Nishika. And as you were saying earlier, a lot of people said, oh, it's a cult. People are getting pushed into it. They make it quite hard for you to take sannyas because, as you said, you've got to do a procedure beforehand and it tests your commitment. Anyway, when I finally took sannyas and I got my new name, Deva Kalimba, which means divine musical instrument, people used to say, oh, what's your real name? And I'd say my real name is Deva Kalimba, but my name I was given earlier was Michael Stewart. And the reasoning somebody told me once was, if you're in the world and somebody says, hey, Michael, Michael responds. If you're in the world and somebody says, Kalimba, uh, hang on, uh, who's, all oh, right. It gave you that kind of position where you could be somebody different. Like if somebody said to you, Vincent, then Vincent responded. But when they say Vishrand, then the new energy, the new man 
goes, oh, yes, that's who I am. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, that's how I found it as well. There's a huge difference between someone calling my original name and someone calling Vishran. Yeah, well, thanks for that. <laughs> your, your, your I Ching story is a good story. My, my story was different. I joined the, I decided to do a two weekend, uh, two day weekend course uh, in Fremantle with a man called Indivar. And during that uh, time, I saw, I had a vision of a tunnel, like a water tunnel the really big one and i was looking down at, and at the end of it was this little indian man coming like this come here and and i looked at it and i looked at it and i recognized eventually that it was rajneesh so i came <laughs> i felt invited yeah uh Indiva was quite a character i was at the commune in sydney with Indiva for years now he was he was a wonderful guy he's a good man he uh, gave me sanyas actually right and he gave my daughter sannyas. Hmm. Yeah. Another one of the awakened sannyasins I also spent time with was Tirtha, but uh, that was in Pune doing the, the encounter groups, which were quite intense. But then years later, he, when he was back to Paul Lowe, he did a couple of retreats in Bali, which I went to, and they were just wonderful as well. Hmm. Yeah, I spent, I spent four months eight months in America with Tirtha and five months in Italy with Tirtha at Villa Volpe. He was my main teacher. Paul Lowe, very, very good man. Oh, lovely guy. Hmm. The next question has been written by Vasu. I don't know much about Papaji. I have seen a video of his on YouTube and he said Osho will come back because his work didn't go his way. Osho himself said he will not come back and that when one, real, one, one is realized, one doesn't come back. I love this mystery, but would love to hear your say regarding Papaji's statement. <laughs> Look, all awakened teachers are tricky. <laughs> People think that everything they say is uh, true, but they're tricky. They'll say what's needed to be said in the moment to affect the person who's in front of them at that moment in a certain way, and that may change the very next moment because awake people are very, very alive. And so I have no idea what Papaji was up to when he said that because I wasn't there. And I do recall Osho saying that when people wake up, they don't come back. But truthfully, I don't really know what's happened. Maybe Osho has come back, but I doubt it. He was so gone. He was so living his beingness. I doubt that he came. <laughs> does it really matter? Is it does it really matter? The teachings are still there. The, the 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 energy in his videos is still there. The light is still there. Where has he gone? 
The next question is from Kalimba. Hi, Kalimba, you're mic'd. Mm. <laughs> I was Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, I don't know how that happened. I actually put my, I just put the raised hand down, but I guess it must have, must have come up again. Anyway, it's, maybe it's karmic that this happened. You were talking earlier of, of sannyasins that have woken up around Osho. Now, apart from you and Tirtha and uh, Indiva, are there any others that you can, can think of? Look, I honestly don't know. I don't keep in touch with other awake people. I don't have an interest in them. Uh, if I do ever meet them, there's just nothing but silence. There's not much to say. My interest is in those who are interested in getting free. My interest is in the seekers. And so I don't have contact and I don't communicate with other awake teachers. So I really don't know the answer to that question. Right. And on the subject of movies that kind of portray Osho in a slightly dubious light, um, I went to a movie the other day, uh, not the other day, a couple of weeks ago in Bunbury called The Beloved. I don't know whether you've heard of this one. Joseph London produced it. Yes. You're actually featured in it. And I had two. <laughs> How do I show up? <laughs> oh, they, they, they have you asking questions and there's, there's, a, there's a picture of you doing something because there's a lot of um, snippets from things that they put into the movie. And I, I had two things to do, so I couldn't stay for the whole movie because it's pretty long, as you know, it's about four and a half hours. But as I was leaving, it was just like, there was this implication. I don't know whether it was the whole movie by a lot of people, that Osho knew what was going on on the ranch and was party to it all. And like yeah. you, I don't believe that for one moment. Well, I told Joseph London while being interviewed that that simply wasn't true. Yeah, because most of that happened when Osho was in silence. It did. And, yeah. But I think the old saying, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely was what happened to Sheila. Because when I first connected with Sheila back in the uh, Rajneesh, oh, sorry, back in the Pune days, um, she and Lakshmi and uh, Arup used to sit in the main office. And I used to sit there like a little kid smitten on the outside, like watching them going, oh, these are lovely people. And back in those days, she was, she was amazing. But when Osho went into silence and she started to control it, I think the power went to her head. And when we were getting a lot of dramas from the outside world, she was trying to defend the community, but she overreacted and she became worse than the people that were attacking us. And that's what I think brought us down. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I'd also agree that Osho had nothing to do with it. And I don't know where uh, Joseph London got the idea that he did because I made it very clear to him as someone who had interviewed him and as someone who was there at the time that that didn't that he didn't know. Well, he wasn't actually stating that but he had quite a few people making their statement that they were convinced and I felt a little uncomfortable with that but then again that's their opinion. 
I shouldn't get involved in other people's opinion, particularly if it's wrong. It's like, that's their opinion. So. Mm. Well, everyone's entitled to their opinion, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right Trump, or wrong? Even Trumpy. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> True. Thanks, Vishrat. Thanks, Klimba. The next question has been written by Paul. Hi, Vishran. To someone who feels lost in life, where a deep sense of em emptiness for life is occurring, what can one do when one does not want anything because they don't know what they want? Yeah. Look, I spent quite a t long time lost in life because I was in between things. I'd given my companies away. I was wandering around Australia, uh, hitchhiking around Australia barefoot for about four years as a bum, looking for my heart. And I felt in a lot of ways, very lost, devastated by not being able to find purpose or meaning in life. And it wasn't until I started to realize that the only way that it was worth living here was the way of the heart that things started to change, where I started to put myself aside for the benefit of others rather than just selfishly live for myself. And then life developed some beauty and it developed beauty because my heart had opened and I was in service of humanity or service of people rather than in service of myself. And so I went through quite a desolate period where I felt so empty and so lost and in that lostness, I got to see the futility of life, the suffering of life, the meaninglessness of life. But I also got to see that there was another way to live. And that was the way of the heart. And in serving heart, I chose to serve humanity. I went back to school and I trained as a naturopath and a psychotherapist so I would have some skills that I could help people with and have been ever since. The next question is from Neil. Uh, hello, Vishran. Uh, so, yeah, so I've heard Osha always say that there is no tomorrow. And, uh, but when it comes to me, I. All my hope lies in the tomorrow. I believe that tomorrow will, things will get better and life will be better. So that these two ideas contradict. So why did Osho always say there is no tomorrow? Because there is only now. It's easy. You see, really, in reality, there's only now. Any projection to later, tomorrow, is a projection. It's not real. And so if it's not real, there is no, there, it's not there. And so when Osho said there's no tomorrow, he's stating that there's only now. This is the only time that's real, right here, right now. And so in Buddhism, we talk about not having any hope. If you approach a lot of Buddhist temples, you'll see above the door, abandon all hope. And people go, oh, gosh, what does that mean? Well, hope is a projection to the future. It's not real either. There is only now. 
And if we can learn to live in the now instead of in our heads with some future projections or remembering the past or analyzing, life is way, way better. There's no beauty really in living in our heads, but there is a lot of beauty in living in the present moment, which is now. What do you reckon, Neil? All right, thank you. Thank you, Vishal. Thank you, Neil. The next question is from, uh, has been written by Daisy. Is holding on to the I am feeling for a long period of time a good practice for realization? Not in my experience, though I have heard other teachers teaching it. Um, I prefer self-inquiry and meditation, watching the mind and self-inquiry, inquiring what's aware of what's being seen, what's aware of what's being thought, what's aware of what's being heard. And so I, my preference is to watch the mind, to witness the mind, to be the witness of the mind, but also self-inquiry to turn awareness back to itself. Uh, holding the I am, from my perspective, is still a dream. You're holding on to a thought, and I don't see any value in holding on to thoughts. But then again, it hasn't been my practice, so I can't talk that strongly about it. The following question has been written by Tuli. Hi, Vishrant. I want to ask your experience. Are you awake as witnessing presence during sleep, waking and dream states? And do you think this is an important, this is important in awakening? Thank you from the UK. Okay, Julie. I haven't had a dream for 21 years. Julie, I go into the blackness at night and I come out of the blackness about five hours later. That's how it works for me. Uh, practically every night's the same, into the darkness and then out of the darkness. In that darkness, I don't have any memory of what happens. That there is no dream whatsoever. I do not wake up in dream. If someone wakes me up in the middle of the night, I'm pristine, out of the blackness. So I don't know. <laughs> During the day, awareness is aware of itself. There is an absence of the eye and there's a sense of being everything at once and nothing. And that is unbroken all day, no matter what awareness is on, whether driving a car or having a discussion with someone, awareness is on itself. And so there's awareness in two places, awareness on itself, and awareness out here. One foot in, one foot out. Following question is from a viewer. If Osho is beingness, perceiving being, beingness, which is kind of like nothing and everything, does that mean he can perceive everything and he can perceive the things of the commune? Things of what, sorry? The things in the commune. <laughs> I see. No. <laughs> no. Awareness of awareness is awareness of awareness. The experience of that is basically nothing. My mind drops completely. 
it just doesn't witnessing but it's not not talking to itself this idea that uh you can tune into something else and know what's happening there well that's pretty out there why would you want to do it anyway but it's pretty out there it's like i know what's happening in this house that i'm sitting in right now because i can hear everything but if i can't hear things what do i know i can see what i can see i can hear what i can hear awareness is aware of itself but that's about it it's so simple really people project all these superpowers onto people who are awake that aren't just they just aren't there certain sit eyes can be developed or can develop in someone who's awake but as far as knowing what's happening all around the place when you're not present that's unlikely i rely on a team of people to run uh, zooms to run meetings to run the promotions to run book editing to run production of videos that's what they do i don't know what they're doing <laughs> that's what they do i show i show used to have a huge team of people uh, producing newspapers producing videos uh, doing maintenance on properties building things I'm sure he didn't know what was going on half of, of, of all of that all of the time. It just didn't happen that way. He was sitting in silence in his bedroom because he loves sitting in silence in his bedroom, the same as I do, because it's beautiful to be silent. It's beautiful to be still. I hope that answers that. Next. Emma would like to ask a question. Vishrant, uh, are, are, are there an, are the stages of the seeker? Is is to is there a journey towards enlightenment or which gradually uh, goes deep or it is one or zero type of state? Okay, so enlightenment is an accident that happens suddenly uh awareness locks on to itself awareness becomes aware of itself or beingness becomes aware of itself and locks on and that's an accident and it happens suddenly what the slow process is producing a mind that will support that because the mind has to be able to support what's been found and that's the slow process but you are already at your final destination because you are already beingness you're just not aware of it that's all when awareness becomes aware of itself, that's enlightenment. Before that, it can be a flip-flopping where awareness can become aware of itself and then back to ego-based reality, then back to itself. But when it stays aware of itself 24 hours a day, it's enlightenment. And a Buddha field is produced. And that Buddha field can be experienced by other people. And that is the only way you can actually tell if someone's awake, actually. If there's no Buddha field, there's no awakening. But it's a slow process to produce a mind that will support enlightenment. And that is where the work gets done. There's no work needs to be done on uh, beingness. It's already complete. It's already full. Perfect, actually. 
Does that make sense? It, it does, Vishant. Uh, however, you know, there's uh, always a doubt on yourself or myself uh, that if the direction is correct or am I doing better than yesterday or where am I going? Ah, better than yesterday. Well, the process is actually an eliminating process. It's sort of like reverse engineering the mind and teaching you how to relax and drop all its, uh, the obstacles that are in the way of enlightenment. And so in a lot of ways, it's an undoing process. And so trying to measure uh, how successful you are at it, it's a little difficult because you're not measuring that you're getting any more. You're measuring that you're less than. <laughs> That's interesting. So... Yeah, so are, are there any signs, indications, which I can assure myself uh, sometimes uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good or, it's, uh, or I need to correct my course? Yeah, look, con we, we're talking about higher consciousness when we're just talking about the mind and then there's super consciousness, awareness, aware of itself. But in higher consciousness, how you can measure that or how you can notice it is things that used to upset you no longer upset you because you've actually undone the belief system that supports the upset. And so you're actually taking away belief systems that contract and create resistance in you. And so what might have upset you a year ago doesn't upset you anymore. It's actually okay. Your consciousness levels have shown up in that area and everything's okay there now. And so as we go through the process of raising our consciousness levels, we find less and less things disturb us because we've undone them. And that was one of the ways that I used to have a look at how I was going when I was raising my consciousness levels. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much happening, Vishant and my family are, you know, it's already in sort of uh, uh, looking me as, as I'm, I'm a mad person, right? So uh, the other day, other day I was uh, just looking at my wife, and I didn't know I was looking at, and she was, she became so restless that her statement was, "If you look at me like that again, I will throw something at you." And I didn't realize I was looking at her. So uh, <laughs> I'll continue and just see where it takes me, uh, Vishant. I understand what you're saying. There was looking, but there was probably nobody looking because the ego was gone. And that's actually what happens. As, as you raise your consciousness levels, there's less and less and less ego. So there's less and less of someone looking. It's just looking. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. The next question is from Abay. Hello, Abay. Hi, Vishant. I want to thank you for shining the light and love on me. Actually, I had watched a beautiful video on YouTube. Um, so the title is Swami Ram Chaitanya Osho's Disciple. Osho Sanyasin. The video shows him, but the audio is Osho's talk. And Osho is saying there that don't be obsessed by the past. Today, Gurjiev is not there, I am. Tomorrow, I will not be there. But if you love me, I will direct you to the people who are alive 
and real masters. So don't hesitate. Don't say because you belong to me, you cannot belong to another real master. Just look in the eyes and you will see me again. <laughs> the body will not be the same, but I'll be the same in the eyes. And that's how I, I feel when I look at, look at you, look into your eyes. The same love, the same, some, some kind of, I don't know the word maybe, the same love and concern and so much of protection. I don't know, I, sorry, I think I'm not getting the word and, but it's the love that I see, it's the same love I see in Osho's eyes. And after that video, I met you and I'm really grateful to you for shining this love and light. Thank you very much. Thank you, Abai. The uh, Osho talked about uh, the garden that he had and the flowers in his garden blooming. And what has happened here is one of his flowers has bloomed. That's all. That's very true. Very true. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. The next question has been written by a viewer. Is the way of truth and inquiry not a worthwhile way to live in the world? Sorry, can you ask that question again? Is the way of truth and inquiry not a worthwhile way to live in the world? It's the only way to live in the world. That's the way of the seeker. And it's only the seeker who's going to wake up and get free nobody else it's the only thing that's worthwhile the next question is, has been written by Deezy. can you practice self-inquiry while listening to music i found that i could practice self-inquiry at any time all you're doing is asking the question, what's aware? So if you're listening to music, what's aware of the music? The following question has been written by Kavita. Hi, Bishran. Osho has said that many a time people come to the brink of enlightenment and all that is needed is one more step. But most people retreat at this point and the window of opportunity becomes available again only after several lifetimes. Can you please explain this? Yeah. For the opportunity, the mind has to be completely relaxed because it's an accident that occurs and you have to and the mind has to surrender to it it has to give its life to truth and if it refuses to give its life to truth totally well awakening doesn't happen someone who's awake their mind has given itself to truth unconditionally no matter what no future nothing the deal isn't that you get anything back 
The deal for the ego is death. It's the end. It's the end. And people want to be some, in some way continuing. The ego wants to continue some way. But that doesn't work. That's not unconditional surrender. And that opportunity to surrender to that depth may not happen again. You don't know. And so if the opportunity comes, you take it. You never, ever think there's going to be a later. You take what's offered now. And for me, when I was in the presence of my awake teachers, they were Advaita Vedanta teachers, the opportunity was there many times and I took it every time. But the mind still wasn't ready at that stage to 100% surrender and support what was found. And so the accident didn't actually happen. It happened after a year of flip-flopping, a year of Satori's, and then bang, it's been like that for 21 years now. You take the opportunity, you give yourself to truth. You can also give yourself to heart, but you, that means nothing for you. The deal for enlightenment is everything for truth and nothing for you. But it's the same deal for the way of the heart. Everything for heart and nothing for you. And it is the best deal in town. The next question has been written by Bachman. What is the mind in your opinion? Just a computer that comes with a, a spacesuit. This is a spacesuit called a body. This is the, com the computer is inside the brain and it runs the spacesuit and navigates the world through a personality, which is made up of a whole pile of belief systems and reference points, but it's just a computer running true to the patterning and programming that's been put in it through genetics and causal programming. But there's something that's aware of that. And that's what's of interest to the seeker. What's aware of the mind? What's aware of this computer? I don't see the computer as myself or the body as myself. That's just an avatar. I am that. The next question has been written by Vasu. Since awareness is a 24 hour thing, for me to sleep, my un unconscious mind has to settle in. Is it my thirst that is not enough for truth to sacrifice my sleep? What about having school or a job the very next day? In that case, I want to escape. But again, that is a desire. Yeah. Look, sometimes, particularly in the early years, the light was so bright that the mind would stay awake all night in silence, but it would stay awake all night because the light was so bright, particularly if I'd held satsang at the night time, which I, I do. I just let it happen. My mind just let it happen. No need to fight anything except everything as it is.
What are the differences between a human and an awakened being? Well, a human being thinks they're a human being. An awakened being knows they're not. Because <laughs> an awakened being lives as truth. A human being lives as an ego, thinking it's a somebody that's been somewhere that is going somewhere. Someone who's awake knows that's not true. They know there's only now and they're living in the now as beingness. But that's not an identity. Someone who's a human is living as an identity that's made up of reference points. Imagination, actually. So the difference is someone who's living as beingness is living as reality. Someone who's living as a human is living as a dream. Is it helpful to have videos of enlightened people on whilst I sleep at night? <laughs> well, I used to, <laughs> but I was a bit of a fanatic. I loved the energy field that enlightened things put out through videos and through audios. And I fell in love with that. What is the best way for an Osho disciple to honor him? Wake up. That's what he wanted. He wanted people to wake up. Wake up. Sack, give yourself up to truth. Give yourself, give your life to truth. Become a light so others may see. Is there any difference? I'm sorry. There is no other thing that's worth doing, really, on this plane. It's just samsara, life after life, birth, suffering, death. Some people say birth, life, death, but really <laughs> we suffer if we resist life and we're programmed to, so people suffer. Wake up. Help others get free. This is what Osho wanted. Be in the world. Don't hide yourself away. Wake up. Shine the light in the marketplace, brothers. This is the best. This is the way to show your gratitude towards Osho. Wake up. Give up your life. Give it to truth. And be free. And show others how to be free. This is the best. Thank you for satsang. Good to see you brave hearts here today. <laughs>